0: Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School. Here, you'll get fresh insight from the people at the very top of the tech companies who make the products we love. Remember, you can learn product management live online. Visit productschool.com to discover our new certificate path. There, you can also join the world's largest community of PMs and network with the leaders from these podcasts at our online events. There's something happening almost every day. Uh, Good day, everyone. I'm excited to be here and share my product experience with you all. Um, I intend to share that I have, uh, you know, what I have experienced and learned over uh, my product career so far, specifically in the domain of B two B product management. Um, this can be helpful for anyone who is managing a B two B product, aiming to transition from a B two C to B two B or vice versa, and also in general for other PMs to understand the subtle differences and flavors of uh, product management, right? Um, so I hope. By end of this session, you'll be able to appreciate that a PM role, unlike any other role, is not one-dimensional, and it depends on the product you manage, uh, the company and culture you are in, um, and your strengths and inclination. Uh, without further ado, I'll, I'll get started. Um, so, all right. Um, so before we go into the topic, a little about myself. Um, I'm Palas Nual, currently working with Booking.com in Amsterdam as a Senior Product Manager in the Partnerships Department. Uh, The main mission of Booking.com is to make it easier for everyone to experience the world, right? And in line with that, um, we, in partnership, manage a portfolio of products that are designed to tap into any online travel intent and provide for easy access to the Booking.com platform. Uh, To give you a very obvious example, um, let's say you make a search on TripAdvisor, Trivago, Google, or any of these online uh, meta-search engines for a place to stay in Amsterdam, right? Uh, you will see a result from Booking.com there. Now, we all have wondered like, where are these results being powered from? Uh, do these sites actually scrape all these OTAs to get uh, these price points for comparison? But that's simply not true. Uh, they are integrated through our APIs that we provide for specifically for bidding purposes and showing our rates and availability on these meta channels. Uh, so that is one example of the products that we manage here in Booking.com partnership. Um, I can give you another example. So let's say you make a flight booking on your favorite airline website. Uh, let's let's call it any, any airline that you want. And you might have seen, in most cases, a widget on your confirmation page or during the funnel uh, suggesting you accommodations that you might want to consider um, at your destination, right? Now these are also powered by booking.com. You might have also had similar experience on Apple Maps or other websites and applications uh, where you might have seen or shown some kind of travel intent. Um, uh, to travel. Uh, these are all uh, powered by the Booking.com partnership uh, platform. Now, prior to Booking.com, I was working with Make My Trip. Now, Make My Trip is India's largest um, uh, OTA, and I was managing the flights product across um, all, all platforms there. So, if you're an Indian and have taken a domestic flight, you must have definitely interacted with uh, one of uh, the product panels of, of the flights uh, there. right? Uh, and, and it was through and through B2C experience for me. And also later in my time, they make my trip and Goibibo. Goibibo being the second largest OT at that point in time, uh, they got merged. And in that context, I also worked on some integration projects. Uh, and, ex- and that was, I would say, uh, the starting point of my B2B experience that exposed me for the first time uh, to what a B2B product management can look like. Uh, so, yeah, it's fair to say that it happened by chance, but I stayed in B2B by choice because I, I became quite passionate about uh, the whole domain here. Uh, I I would also move on and I would like to talk about how I have structured and what the agenda will look like for the next uh, 20, 25 minutes or so that I'm going to to present. Um, So I've structured the presentation in two parts. In the first part, we'll take a look at some examples uh, of B2B products that are well-known and some B2B companies and take a step further to see what makes a product a B2B product or a B2C product. What is that test? Uh, What is that sniff test that we can do to identify whether, okay, uh, are we interacting with a B2B product or a B2C product here? Um, I would also try to argue, um, maybe uh, not, not in a direct way, but indirectly that we are actually more influenced, surrounded and impacted by B2B products that uh, that we actually uh, you know, are even aware of. Uh, they're indeed more pervasive than, than the consumer B2C products that we talk about uh, quite often. In the second part, we we'll take a look at the differences between B2B product management and B2C product. Uh, management to the different steps of a product lifecycle and see how those ingredients um, are actually the same, but the mix changes as we transition from the B two C world uh, to the B two B world. So, with that in mind, I would I would now jump into the topic, and I will probably start with uh, uh, with a, with, a, with a question like, how many of these are B two B product companies? So, do you think uh, Stripe is it a is it a B two B company? Slack? What about Salesforce? What about Shopify? Uh, do you think one of them is, two of them is, all of them uh, are B2B companies? Uh, so what I've done here, I've actually taken, I've gone to their website, taken the first screen that I see and what they talk about, right? So If you look at, um, let's say Stripe here, now Stripe is talking about, um, you know, being the payment infra- infrastructure for the internet. They are mentioning that they want to help businesses of all size, right? From startups to large enterprises. Uh, so, it, so it does sound like it's a B2B company their value propositions, their copy is all appealing to a business, uh, as, as we can see here. Similarly, if you look at Slack, um, it starts with the tagline of built with enterprises for enterprises. So the message that here is also that Slack is actually, it's, it's, it's a chat platform. Of course, it, it brings your teams together. Uh, it's, it's helping in faster collaboration and decision making, um, uh, a super effective productivity booster, right? Uh, so it's again appealing to the business here, um, that if you use the software, if you use an application that we have, if you use a product that you have, your teams can be much more uh, effective and, and your decisions can be much more faster. Salesforce, similar. Uh, they're talking about driving your business forward. Uh, they're talk- it's like it's a, as we all know, it's a unified CRM platform. So definitely it's, it's a B2B uh, platform that we're talking about and a B2B product that we're talking about. Uh, again, the value propositions are quite clear. They're talking about how you can drive your business forward um, through a unified CRM, uh, you know, how you can unite different teams around your customers, and so on. Uh, so the messaging is quite clear. They, are all, they all, by look of it, does sound that they are a B2B company, and yes, they are. Uh, the last example in the, in, the, in the slide that I have is uh, of Shopify, and, and uh, the story is the same here as well. Right? They're talking about building an online business no matter what business you're in. So they are also appealing to the business community, the business owners here uh, if you want and uh, can, can, can we help you accelerate your success and growth story as part of that. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, those were the examples. So the answer actually is all of those companies that I showed are a B2B company, but then still we are left wondering what exactly makes a B2B company B2B. Of course, we, we went to the website. We have a sense that, um, yeah, it's making sense. Uh, They are appealing to business consumers. They are uh, talking about integrations. They're talking about how they can make your work, uh, your company, much more effective and efficient. Uh, So, if you notice in the previous slides and in all the screen graphs and the screenshots that we had, uh, all the companies have the key value propositions towards an enterprise. All of them are basically claiming that they can make your business more efficient, like I said, right? Uh, Now, either they are trying to improve productivity of your employees and teams. Or giving you out of the box uh, product solution that you can integrate uh, with your platform. So you would also notice that the messaging or a copy is written in a way that is appealing to either a business owner, um, or a procurement lead, or a senior decision-making authority in the company. Right? Why is that? So, right? Um, because the person who's going to pay, or the company that is going to pay, the users are going to be different, uh, and that is that brings me to my first point: that the key to differentiate a B two B product from a B2C is to ask two questions, who is the user and uh, who is paying for the product, right? It can be that the users are employees and is being paid by the company like Stripe, Salesforce, Zoom, et cetera. It can be that the user and person who's paying is the same in the case of Shopify uh, or or a single owner company or a startup trying to build a quick online presence. Uh, It can be that the user and the person who's paying is completely unrelated To Can you think about such a case? Of course, I mean, we all have by now, must have seen the social dilemma on Netflix. Um, so, that is quite possible. And that brings to the next section like, okay, what about these then? What about, let's talk about some big names uh, uh, normally that we see often in, in the product community. right? What about all these fan uh, companies Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google? Um, so, if the user is an employee, right, uh, or the product is being paid for by a company, or the company has a sales team that is appealing to businesses, you can be pretty sure that what you're dealing here is a B2B product. But then, how does that apply to these companies? If you apply the same sniff test here, what do you guys think? Do you think uh, all of these companies are B2B companies as well, or not all? Maybe, uh, maybe Facebook and not the rest? Uh, so, let's do the exercise again. What I've done here is similar. Um, I've taken the first screenshot uh, of, of any business uh, tooling or the mention of any uh, improvement as a B2B product or uh, for an enterprise. So Facebook has a whole section which talks about uh, developer tools, talks about um, products that they offer to businesses. Uh, it primarily focuses on how you can improve your uh, scale across the FB platform and enhance your customers' experience there, right? So clearly, Facebook does have a B2B part to it, uh, which is not uh, quite obvious uh, as, as we just interact with the Facebook uh, as we know it, right? Similarly with Apple, Um, if you go to Apple, you see a whole section that talks about Apple for work. Um, I'm using my uh, laptop, which is basically uh, a MacBook provided by uh, the company, right? But still, um, it has multiple tools, multiple productivity tools that is provided and powered by Apple here. Uh, So Apple does have a section uh, that that, that can talk about B2B uh, and, and can actually be considered as one of the biggest B2B companies. Amazon. Now, Amazon, we know about the AWS um, and the Cloud Infra, which is clearly a B2B part and B2B segment that they have. But even the Amazon.com, as we know it, uh, has tools, applications, and product to onboard new sellers on their platform, right? Um, so it does have a B2B arm um, and B2B element uh, involved to that as well. Netflix. Netflix can be tricky. Um, and in my opinion, if I, if I put that sniff test to, um, uh, to, apply, to be applied here, uh, it probably is heavily towards B2C still. Uh, you pay for what you use. Of course, they team up with other media companies to create content, but their online product is still B2C. I hope it remains like that. Um, I'm, I'm too, like, already too uh, scared of seeing ads the way it is on YouTube. So I hope uh, Netflix stays the same, right? And it remains a B2C company as well. Uh, Google. Now, Google uh, is known for Google Search, Google Maps. But if you actually go deeper, Uh, It seems like it has a very strong B2B offering. Now They have a whole portfolio of products that are targeted towards business from advertising to reputation management to growth, et cetera. And they have a very huge team actually working uh, behind these B2B products. The major source of uh, revenue is through the ads that they do, right? So definitely uh, Google uh, has a a special focus for the B2B products that they are working and building on. So apart from Netflix, I think uh, the rest of the company can be classified having a B two B present or having a B two B product line that they offer to con- to enterprises and businesses. So these are these are companies. Uh, the point that I'm trying to make is it's 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 not that uh, they can be classified truly as a B two B or a B two C, but there's a whole spectrum here, right? Um, they fall under a mix, uh, and 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 probably. Uh, there are multiple tests that we can apply, but one of the quickest that I said is to look at uh, who is paying for the product right, and who is using. Uh, and based on the answers to those questions, you can be very clear and certain about uh, what kind of product you're interacting with or working with. Now that is all good. Uh, you might be wondering, yeah, now I know what a B2B product is. I know uh, which company operates in the B2B space, uh, which company doesn't. Uh, but the question is, okay, what changes? Right? As a product manager, as someone who has been doing product for a very long time, what changes for me? What 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 matters or why does it matter to me if I'm working in a B2B product or a B2C product? Right? Now that brings us to the second part of the session where I'll take you through um, the classic product development cycle and share some of my experience and how different stages differ based on what kind of product you manage. All right, so we have... Um, all seen this classic flywheel, the usual ideation, prioritization, execution, test, launch, grow, and then the cycle repeats itself again, right? So this is, uh, this is the classic product development cycle or the agile way of working that we all are aware of. So what I'm gonna do is in my subsequent slides, I'm going to explore each step in more detail, taking a look at what factors play a dominant role in each step and how does that actually look for a B2C product versus a B2B product, okay? So, the first one, um, like I said, ideation. Now, ideation, there are multiple sources where a PM um, gathers input. The problem can come from anywhere, right? Um, it, it can come from, uh, uh, from the data that you're looking at, it can come from the field, it can come from direct customer feedback or the research that you've done, it could be from the competition. Uh, maybe they learn something, um, which is a great idea as well, right? So, you might see something, for example, you might see um, in, a, in a normal or a normal day of a product manager, which we all have experienced or must have experienced, uh, you might have seen something off in the data, right? And when you're doing a cross platform comparison, or for example, looking at um, the performance across regions, uh, markets, uh, you might see something is off. You might go like, ah, yeah, this does not add up. Uh, look, something is off here, right? It uh, looks like there's something wrong uh, maybe on the latest app release that we did, uh, or there's something wrong for the European geography. Uh, the sales are going down there. What's happening there, right? Uh, from there, you might build a hypothesis, talk to a few customers from Europe um, who might have used or interacted uh, or got impacted uh, by the changes that we did. right? Understand deeper what is happening or look at more data cuts to try and isolate the problem. Um, and from there, we then build the next test or decide on what to build next. Um, and, and we have been doing this all, all all day in and all day out. And that is that is what a classic B2C or a consumer-facing product manager um, would, would be hypothesizing and working on, right? On the other hand, if you look at, um, uh, you can also get feedback from, like I said, from the customer or partner directly. Um, we have all been in this situation, an email from the CEO, and that becomes the biggest pain for all the product managers and, and needs to be fixed now. Yeah, we have been there and that probably that's, that's a different topic to be discuss how to say no to uh, multiple stakeholders and leadership team. Uh, but sticking to the topic here, uh, all these sources and inputs remain the same now. Uh, you, if you're handling a B2C product or a B2B product, uh, these are your sources, the major sources, they can be more um, uh, of these inputs. But what is changing then? What is changing between a B2B and a B2C domain? here? Now, what changes is the mix. The question is, what do you give more weight to? Uh, is it, is it uh, enough for you to just look at the data? Um, Is it enough for you to just talk to your, uh, let's say, uh, sales team? So the question is, what do you trust the more? How do you size it? Um, You know, should I just do what competitors are doing, right? Uh, Should I just talk to a few partners and customers and build what they say, etc.? What should my roadmap consist of? Uh, So if you look at a B2B versus B2C, your fundamentals, your principles, your sources might not change, but how much weight you give to those sources or how much Trust you put in those sources actually changes. Um, now here's where, like I said, uh, is the is the major difference, right? Um, and I want to highlight one of my key learnings uh, that in a B two B product, it will usually be influenced a lot more by commercial stakeholders and partner needs, by anything else, and for the right reasons. Um, they are your eyes, they are your ears on the ground that help you get the pulse check of the market and the partner base you might use their inputs first to build hypothesis and then validate further with data and partner research, et cetera. Now, the reason why this is important is because of the success of a B2B product, uh, the collaboration between product and commercial uh, becomes super important. Uh, I I just can't stress enough on this point. Um, Many PMs who make a transition from B2C to B2B find this aspect the most difficult. They feel that they're not in control and rather than being collaborative, they start closing their doors on all commercial feedbacks, trying, trying to say no, which is, which is a good thing. You have to say no more often than yes. Uh, but actually sometimes this, uh, this proves counterproductive for the product growth and adoption. Um, you'll, you'll quickly find yourself that commercial does not know what they're selling and you don't know what you're building or why partners don't use it. Why is the adoption low? Uh, so instead of actually uh, what we can do is uh, bring in a little bit of that product mindset to the table and to the commercial organization. Help them size the opportunity in the right way. Help them introduce the agile way of working. Like how do we test? How do we go to market quickly with this? And how do we get feedback quickly on this? Explain what data they can look at to validate this need further, rather than just saying that my partner asked for it, right? Now working with other regions and helping them look at bigger picture uh, could be one idea. How the new product caters to or does not cater to other markets. So it's basically, Rather than breaking that collaboration, you need to work more closer with your commercial stakeholders, right? Um, And I can tell you from my past experience here that all organization or all companies, all product companies uh, that are in the B2B space are actually designed in a way that they create a tension between commercial teams and product teams, right? It can be healthy, it can be unhealthy, depending on how you look at the situation and how do you manage it. Uh, Now the tension by design, what I mean is if you always look at the number of commercial people, product people, uh, it will be skewed, right? Uh, and you might find yourself in a situation where hundreds of people are shouting at the PM to get their feature out or, uh, you know, what is needed by their partner is the most important feature, right? Uh, that is that is why one of the important skills uh, that I want to uh, share with you, um, which we all have and being a product manager, which we all have is we have the ability to navigate that chaos and manage expectations with stakeholders right from day one, right? Uh, but this becomes even more important. This becomes super important in a B2B setup when you have, when you're handling such a wide variety of stakeholders having different priorities, right? Um, so what I have, what I do and what I have found useful in the past is doing some kind of a vision setting or a product strategy uh, that is aligned with, you know, with at least with the key stakeholders that you're working with or at the leadership level that you're working with. Now, you might argue, right, yeah, having a strategy, having a vision, uh, it's it's okay, but it doesn't add much, right? Um, you're not going to achieve everything that you mentioned in your strategy. Uh, that's fine. Uh, most of the strategy documents or most of the product strategy, it's not about getting that 10x impact that we talk about. Uh, it's actually to get uh, the alignment better, to get that collaboration going and helping teams across work smoothly, especially spe- between commercial and product here uh in the b2b space uh so if you're planning to make up a b2b uh, product or if you're planning to take up a b2b product role in a company please do flex this muscle of yours i i just can't stress enough this is one of the key factors and this is one of the key areas that i've seen uh other product managers not not do so well when they make a transition Uh, right Uh, so yeah uh, i would say from the ideation uh topic try to work closely with your commercial counterpart uh, try to get the alignment going, uh, don't shut them off, and make sure that you work together and bring that product mindset to the table whenever you're discussing uh, something with them. The second part is uh, prioritization uh, in the cycle. Uh, now, similar to the ideation phase, uh, we have different parameters that we use to prioritize a roadmap, right? And we have all done that. We, have, uh, we need to plan our next sprint, next two sprints, and then also look at the quarterly map, uh, look at our uh, roadmap for the year, uh, and at the same time, also do the next year planning that we need to work on. Uh, we, we base it on impact. We base it on different things like ROI, alignment with the company strategy, or uh, uh, time-sensitive legal requirements that we have to do, uh, or there is a compliance issue or something like that. Now, there are various models, scoring mechanisms, et cetera, that, that we have evolved and developed that, uh, that people use, that product managers use. Um, I have my own. And many PMs have built their own mechanism of how they prioritize uh, their roadmap, right? Again, uh, the point that I'm trying to make is the core, the fundamental, the product management principles don't change between a B2B and B2C. But what is going to change as a PM if you have to prioritize? And how you consider all these parameters? What changes is how you give weights to these parameters or importance to these parameters, right? Um, or how your team and extended uh, stakeholder community think about these parameters? What is more important to them? Now, one of the biggest uh, factor that plays out in a B2B world, and not so much in the B2C uh, world, if I may, uh, is the concept of deal breaker, right? Now, what is a deal breaker? Simply put, it is something your commercial head comes to you and says, uh, look, if you can't have this feature requested by that particular company by this quarter, we will probably lose millions of dollars and we'll probably lose our only chance to have cracked the biggest deal of this year right and how do you handle that situation it's it um you try to argue you try to reason uh you might say that yeah but this feature will not add much value to the end customer or company you say we'll have to drop what we are doing to make this happen uh you also argue that this would mean a complete change in the direction in how we do things it's not scalable uh blah blah, blah right and, and that's not gonna work out uh, we have been uh, at least from my experience, I've been in multiple such situations where such a deal breaker comes in and then you have to completely change it. Uh, now, that's not a failure. Uh, changing your roadmap based on requirements is not a fa- failure, but it might come, come through as you're not in control. right? Uh, you might have concerns on uh, what do you say to your tech team? How do you ask them to pivot? Uh, how, do you, how do you convince them that, no, we're going to work on this bigger priority suddenly because something happened on the field. Uh, the market changed, or something. Uh, you know, uh, it, it becomes a very tough conversation. Uh, conversation to have at least with your tech counterpart on on these changing priorities. Uh, over time, I've also found um, that it, there is a way out. I mean, it may not be perfect, uh, but it helps me a lot. Uh, is to allot certain time in your roadmap for such ad hoc deal breakers. Uh, so what I do is I actually um, uh, keep X percentage of my roadmap specifically for these deal breakers. Right? So I can guarantee you based on uh, the experience that I've had uh, and, and the growth that your company is or the product that you're working uh, on, if you're not having one of these deal breaker kind of uh, partnerships happening uh, once in six months or once in a quarter, um, yeah, I, it is highly, highly likely that you will see something of that sort in the B 2 B2B world happening quite more often. Uh, so th- the way out that I have figured out is you make it explicit. You make it explicit in your planning. You make it obvious to all the leadership team that you're allocating certain percentage of your roadmap, of your sprint, for such deal-breakers. And if nothing comes away, you'll either use that time to move on to the next priority or use it for tech and other optimizations. Right? Uh, now, this agreement with commercial and LT is super important. And trust me, this saves a lot of headache. Uh, over time, I've, I've seen how it, this has smoothened things out. And we use this bandwidth. Uh, as a flexible buffer against different things. right? So it's important that you plan this in your roadmap. You, you keep uh, some percentage of it out for such deal makers if you're trying and planning to get it and get up uh, running in a B2B setup. In a B2B setup, usually one of the value is also customization at scale. right? Now, I, I want to touch upon a little bit on that because uh, you might argue that, yeah, but then this goes against uh, all the prioritization that we did based on ROI, based on strategy. Uh, suddenly there is a bigger deal and then we have to work. Uh, it wasn't part of the plan, right? You might also feel that you're doing something that the commercial is asking you to. You're not in, like I said in the beginning, you're not in control of, of the whole situation. Now, as a person, as a product manager in a situation, you need to be okay with that, uh, you know, uh, vulnerability. You need to be okay with uh, with that situation and then make peace with it. Uh, and this is not about just doing whatever commercial is asking you to. Um, it's, it's, it's You might feel that it's not a scalable thing, uh, which are valid feelings and concerns. And that depends on the nature of the deal we are talking about. right? Uh, also, it depends on the key values and principles that are defined in your tech team and company. Uh, so like I was uh, hinting towards in a B2B setup, uh, one of the values that you will see over time in a mature product company is to customize at scale, right? Uh, you cannot have a generic solution that works for all businesses or all markets. So at some point, you'll always have to look at ways that will allow for such customization uh, that does not require a lot of development. effort. So, so you can only manage this in a way that it does not disrupt everything that you're doing. And, and one of the ways that uh, I've seen work is by giving some percentage allocation in your roadmap or sprint that you work with based on your experience uh, on how frequent such deal breakers uh, come in or, or you know, uh, from your commercial teams as well. So that, that was my um, you know, suggestion for prioritization. And if I move to the next one, which is execution and testing, the next stage of uh, the product development here. Again, here um, I would emphasize that there are differences on how you test a new feature uh, or product or how you bring a new product to the market. Uh, it is usually not super easy to do a controlled experiment like you do in a B2C environment. Um, In B2B enterprise products, uh, doing an experiment has its own constraints. Um, Many times you can, but uh, I would say it depends again on the nature of the B2B product that you're working on. Uh, But majority of the B2B products doing an experiment there uh, becomes a little tricky and and the results to be conclusive. You need enough data to make a decision there. It is also not going to be a straightforward uh, kind of linear launch measure I-trade uh, rollout kind of a setup. Uh, you need to keep in mind that there is huge lead time to any product that you build in a B2B setup because of the adoption cycle that the partners have. You need to get it prioritized in the sprints as well. Uh, so it's going to take a lot of time before your product is actually adopted, used, uh, before you gather any data. And then at the same time, if you want to run some experiments, you need enough uh, users to be using on it, um, and and you just can't split. Uh, let's say a company uh, having having two cohorts of uh, certain people in the company have a different version, and certain company certain people in the company have a different version. So practically, it becomes uh, quite difficult to run experiments in a B two B product. So what do you do? Uh, how do you test? How do you validate ideas? How do you launch MVPs? What kind of considerations do you keep in mind? Um, in a B2B setup, the use of beta users and beta partners are super important uh, to gather early feedback and iterate on. Um, so you might want to do a small scale pilot with certain pilot partners, uh, gather qualitative and if possible quantitative data. Uh, and that, that becomes the kind of a standard and you build this pilot community over time to give you such um, insights quickly, as quickly as possible, right? Uh, so that you can iterate and get back to the product development lifecycle that uh, that we want to uh, keep running. So, if you're getting into B two B again, or if you're transitioning from uh, from from a different uh, product role to a B two B setup, please make sure that you build this beta community for quick testing. Uh, it needs to be of partners who are super engaged, uh, who are quick to adopt, uh, quick to give give feedback for mutual benefits, and so on. So. So keep this in mind that testing is not going to be straightforward and simple. You need to have your way around, you need to, have, uh, you need to make, put in that extra effort to build that test community or a community that can give you feedback or the partner base that you can uh, pilot with certain things. Uh, right. So another key major difference, which uh, is the biggest bubble here that I have mentioned is the debate on uh, long-term gain versus uh, short-term gain. Um, now we usually have a bias for long-term gain and would play the long game in B2B. We try to increase the lifetime value of partnership rather than looking at small scale iterations. And the, the reason why this, is, um, why this is important is because the product lifecycle of a B2B product is also longer than a B2C product, right? So whatever you build in a B2B world stays longer. Uh, and, 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 and that's because of contractual and high lock-in costs that the partner uh, puts in or the invests in, right? Now, this is also a key difference to keep in mind between the two domains. So you need to keep in mind that there is going to be a high lock-in cost. So what you built is going to stay long. It will be extremely difficult to change that. It will be extremely difficult to have the partner adopt a new version of your API, let's say, or a new version of your product, uh, let's say. Uh, and, and hence, the testing becomes even more difficult. So, so if you're trying to build something new, make sure that you have the B2B uh, partner community that can give you quick feedback Make sure you are clear on your go-to-market strategy. Make sure that you have these uh, short-term, long-term debates uh, on what you want to do, why you want to do, how easy will it be to iterate, not iterate. Um, uh, So yeah, uh, these things become super important uh, and different also from the B2C world uh, that we look at. The final uh, part in that cycle, and I'm clubbing a couple of things here together, is about metrics and decision-making, right? Uh, Now, and as an extension to what we have discussed in the previous slides, uh, the key decisions on the future of a product uh, predominantly depends on the partner feedback and the informal calls that you might have with them in the B2B world. Uh, Now, other factors such as commercial partner surveys, uh, data, your North Star might aid in that decision. But the final decision is usually from what you hear. So if it doesn't work for the partner, then it does not. And now that is why it is also important to co-create the product with the partner and involve them early in the design and plan- planning phase itself. Um, so rather than just involving the partner or your enterprise uh, for whom you're building the solution in understanding the problem, you should also try and involve them in the solutioning phase as well. Now, in booking, we do a lot of these design sprints and tech discussions with our partners directly, right? Uh, so there are multiple uh, sessions that we do with different kinds of partners to understand what works for them, what doesn't work for them, uh, right? Now, I've seen over time that this helps in building one, uh, the relationship with the partner. This helps in building the right product. Uh, and the chances of your product getting adopted uh, is much higher, and it increases many uh, So no matter what, what kind of um, feedback or what kind of data you're looking at, uh, it becomes super important how your partner feels about it, right? And... And are you building the right thing, uh, keeping in constraints the mind that the partner might have um, uh, in it, right? So it's important that you involve them in the solution phase if you you want some kind of uh, quick adoption for your products. So uh, that that was uh, my time today and the topic that I wanted to cover. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope this was useful. And I hope some of you might have more clarity on what um, are the subtle differences and similarities between a B2B and B2C product. And if you're planning to switch, you might want to change your approach a little bit, not too much, but just keeping these things in mind uh, can help you become a successful uh, B2B product manager. Uh, so I wish you all the very best. Hope to see some great products being churned out. Um, and thank you. Thank you for listening to the product podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.